We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Welcome to Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Our podcasts this month are full of opportunities for us to hear from families and the family stories of those who've experienced and walked the path of childhood cancer. While most of our podcasts will be family stories, I am excited to say that today's first podcast to kick off of the month is with Dr. Pokola from OU Children's. Please help me welcome Dr. Pokola to the podcast of We Saved You a Seat and listen in now as he introduces himself and joins this conversation. I thought we might begin with you introducing yourself and your role in the life of a family who has received a leukemia or cancer diagnosis, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, my name is uh, Hanumanta Pokola, or I go by Chinny. Uh, Chinny Pokola is a, only the government calls me Hanumanta, <laughs> um, and I've been um, at OU uh, for uh, since uh, July of 2010. Uh, I actually went to. I grew up in Texas, but went to medical school at OU, class of 2004. I did my general pediatrics training and my pediatric hematology oncology training at UT Southwestern in Dallas, um, and I've been here since then. I take care of patients from all walks of life. We have benign uh, non-cancerous blood disorders, um, as well as uh, uh, patients who have um, uh, cancer. Um, I have a little bit of a more of a clinical interest and a research interest in leukemias and lymphomas, but I see patients that have um, any cancer diagnosis. You really do a lot with the families then and, and help walk them through a lot of that as far as educating them and helping them understand yeah. what's going on. Is that I can I can only imagine how terrifying it is to meet kind of new people in the situation where you know you're worried about your child and you know and you're meeting a whole you know a lot of a lot of patients come to the emergency room first and some some may have been told by their primary care physician hey I'm worried your child might have cancer some may just no oh, I just had a, my child just had a runny nose and growing pains and a little bit of a fever and it's you know, are, you know, obviously shocked to find out they might have leukemia or something else like that. And you're the hustle bustle of seeing, like, you see the nurses and you see the, the uh, trainees, you see the, you know, uh, so many people along the way <clears throat> for, for the patients that I follow a long time, that I'm the primary oncologist. Like I kind of tell families that, you know, I'm going to be their point person for all the big decisions. Um, obviously, depending on how treatment and follow-up are, I may not be able to see them for every single visit, but I assure them that for the big conversations, the big decision-making, that I'm going to be the one that's going to be there, whether it's in person or by the phone, to help guide those, uh, guide them through the process, talk to them about the information, and give them the best advice based on kind of what the, the data shows, what to do, what to do next in, in their child's care. Um, and I always kind of pledge at the beginning that I'm always going to be honest. And that's one of the hardest things where you want to give families hope. Um, and thankfully, we are able to cure, you know, more than 80% of children who are diagnosed with childhood cancer. Um, but 80% isn't 100%. And I always, always have to, at the beginning, kind of put the caveat of, I'm always going to be honest with you. Uh, whether it's about side effects, whether it's about prognosis, 
even if it hurts me to say what I have to say, and I know it's going to be difficult for you to hear, I'm always going to be honest because that's the only way you can make these impossibly hard decisions. Um, especially for a lot of families that don't have a medical background, you know, um, you know, they want to have a lot of trust in their physician. And that's one of the most important things is to always be honest and upfront about what we need to do kind of seriousness of the situation. And I've, I've never had a family who's been upset about me for not being completely honest with them. Um, um, because I think they'd rather hear, hear everything that could potentially happen and hear the unvarnished truth in, in a time like that, than. um, uh, than get, uh, you know, kind of get false sense of hope. Um, but, you know, thankfully, in, you know, while we are able to cure more than 80% of children who are diagnosed with childhood cancer, we have, you know, a lot more uh, uh, options for like supportive care and help. And we had, and, and at OU, we have a great support staff uh, to help a lot of these kids in the hospital with like our, you know, our child life team, um, excellent nursing, um, just great people that I work with. I, I was going to say that I, I've actually heard a lot about the entire support system that, that OU Children's offers the families there. So it's phenomenal what, what y'all have done to produce such a great support system for the families who are walking that path. So and Absolutely. as a family, I appreciate that. So without getting super technical and specific, could you maybe talk about some of the types of cancers and, and help us understand if some are genetically born, are they environmentally, or is it just kind of the makings of a, just that horrific, perfect storm within the body? Yeah, great question. So in, in pediatrics, you know, the most common type of cancer we see are leukemias. Uh, they make up about like, you know, 30 to 35% of childhood cancers. Then brain tumors uh, make up about another 20%. Um, then lymphomas make up another like 15%. And then you kind of have a smattering of other types of like muscle and bone cancers, kidney cancers, liver tumors, and nerve tumors, like a whole smattering of other ones that are a little bit smaller kind of categories. So um, these are a lot different than in adults where you do have a lot more of these what I call carcinomas, which are more like environmentally associated like you think about like lung cancer uh you think about like uh, colon cancer where a lot of this is like the malignant cells develop because of you know exposure to toxins from like you know smoking or bad diet over a long period of time things like that pediatric cancer for the most part is not linked to environmental risk factors um most of them are are also not associated with inherited genetic risk factors. We do know that there are some children who are at increased risk, certainly kids like, you know, like kids who have Down syndrome or at a much more increased risk of developing leukemias in the general population. We know kids who have something like neurofibromatosis or at a higher risk of developing brain tumors. And, and there's a whole bunch of other ones where they have, where kids are born with genetic problems. Something that we've, you know, as part of our like research that we do as part of like the Children's Oncology Group network of hospitals is in, in, by collecting, you know, families that have been at the time of diagnosis have been so generous to donate parts of their child's like tumors or blood samples for research is we're figuring out that there's probably more and more kids out there that do have underlying genetic conditions that just in the past haven't been diagnosed and are very, very subtle and may not, you know, that we haven't been screening for because they're, you know, we're, we didn't really recognize it. Um, and they may be so subtle where it just may still, it takes some other inciting event 
that we don't know what exactly it is that triggers this kind of transformation of a normal healthy cell into a cancer cell that doesn't respond to normal you know, normal growth signals and doesn't stop growing when it's supposed to um, and doesn't develop the way it's supposed to. Great explanation. So I thank you for that. That was really, really good. Does the oncology program there um, at OU Children's, does it treat all types of cancers, all types of those that you listed? Yeah, we treat um, all comers, uh, all types of childhood cancers uh, um, at OU Children's, um, whether it's, you know, uh, the uh, common to the rare. Um, we're lucky that we have an excellent, um, and besides just our oncology group, you know, we have great uh, subspecialty help. We have great, like, a uh, intensive care unit, emergency room, um, uh, other uh, consulting services like infectious disease, endocrinology, other teams that kind of help when our patients have complications. Um, as well, we have uh, pediatric surgeons who are we're one of the few pediatric uh, surgery training centers. And so um, and surgery plays an important role, especially for a lot of our tumors that need surgical removal. We have uh, orthopedic oncologists who can help uh, do complicated like surgeries to remove bone tumors and muscle tumors. We also have neurosurgeons that uh, available to help take out brain tumors. Um, and we have radiation oncology as well, um, and we're also uh, on, on campus as well as a bone marrow transplant unit. Um, so for a smaller state, um, we have a, like, robust resources where the vast majority of our patients can get all of their treatment here. Um, and as a part of the Children's Oncology Group network of 300 hospitals, the treatment plans we use are basically identical to, you know, where I trained in Dallas, where they saw probably, you know, three times as many new diagnosis patients as we see in a year in Oklahoma City, where we can offer, we offer basically the same treatment plans um, and often the same clinical trials for, for children. So children of Oklahoma can get the same, uh, same uh, care and same access to medications uh, for the most part um, as, uh, um, as uh, children in uh, larger states and larger cities. That's pretty exciting that, like you said, for a smaller state and um, for Oklahoma to be, I guess, just really have those resources here in our state and just here in the Oklahoma City area. So Yeah, we even sometimes will get referrals for things like bone marrow transplant and some subspecialty surgery from other states like from Kansas or Arkansas or like the Texas panhandle that will come to, to our center to get like bone marrow transplant or to see orthopedic oncology or, uh, or see neurosurgery as well. That's impressive. I, I love it. I, I just, it makes me proud to be part of the, a part of the state in a lot of ways. So yes. So when we talk about September being Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, is there something that you, you do to honor Childhood Cancer Awareness Month? Yeah, great question. So um, I try to like every single day, you know, um, try to share information on my social media feeds about facts about childhood cancer. There's some like websites that have like a fact of the day kind of infographic, whether it's information about diagnoses kind of, or like you know, what different diseases are, what are kind of some of the methods we use to treat. Like, you know, we, most of our patients have something called a port, which is like a implanted, like, you know, permanent IV that you can have during treatment. But what exactly is a port? You know, why are patients with cancer or, you know, what are the key side effects of chemotherapy? What percentage of kids have long-term side effects just to kind of make people aware of, you know, what these children go through and the challenges they face to get a real understanding of, of what they're going to. Because you may 
not have a child who has cancer, but you may, you may be your neighbor, or maybe your, you know, your child's classmate in school that may, and just to kind of convey to the, the, uh, the world kind of what these families are going through, what these kids are going through. Um, um, I found kind of my social media feed, I think is kind of one of the, the biggest ways to do. Periodically, like I'll do, I, um, I try to do help with like a, uh, foundations that help with childhood cancer research and so like a, I was recently a candidate in the Leukemia Lymphoma Society's like man of the year camp, uh, campaign a few months ago um, and during that stretch you know shared a lot of like some of my patients stories who had leukemia and lymphoma and kind of talked about them my kind of individual stories um, and right now the children's oncology group is doing a kind of a competition to try to every day run at least a mile and so i've been like kind of sharing stories and uh, trying to do you know uh, yeah i'm i'm a, i'm a i love running and so i'll uh, i try to use some of my runs to kind of you know link it to patients that i've taken care of and experiences and um uh, a few years ago like uh, i was running in a marathon in october which was right after childhood cancer awareness month and but i was using it as a it was a fundraising uh, a fundraising one for childhood cancer research and so it kind of linked those together so as a lot of it is sharing you know information like beyond just like the wikipedia page uh, talking about cutting edge research that we're doing, uh, resources that are out there to learn more, um, and to try to, you know, also emphasize the human, you know, kind of the human aspect of this beyond just like the kind of cold numbers uh, uh, of what's of, uh, of statistics. I love it. I, I, I love everything about what you just said. So um, what are, what are some words that you try to provide parents when they first hear those those diagnosis that those scary words of your child has cancer what are some of the comforting things that you like to share with families yeah so i always try because i always try to be honest um and something you know even when the prognosis is you know poor um you know for most childhood cancers even you know even if the prognosis is poor it's often not zero there's only like there's only a few group of patients where we really don't have a lot of, you know, where, where basically the cure rates are close to zero. But for those other ones where, you know, there is still some hope of cure, I do try to, you know, kind of try to emphasize, you know, right now there's no reason to not believe your child is going to be part of that small group. You know, that may change, but for right now, we're going to bet on your child. We're going to bet on them that they're going to be part of that group that beats this because right now there's no proof to say that they're not going to be part of that. And that's maybe trying to be honest with them. Um, you know, even, you know, with some cancers where there's like a, only like a 20% cure rate, um, you know, 20% isn't zero. Um, and I do try to emphasize even those difficult situations that, you know, that we, you know, that we're going to bet on their child and, you know, and we, honestly believe that they're going to be the part of that group that's going to that's going to going to be it because in the beginning when we haven't even started therapy or anything like that we don't why, why should we think otherwise you know i think we i think it's not wrong to to be optimistic in those cases and you know i mean like i said i'm always to be honest but that's also me being honest as well as saying yeah i mean i realistically think your child can be part of that group of patients you know long road to often to get to there because of treatments whether it's chemotherapy surgery or radiation um but in the beginning you know i think it's not unreasonable and i think it's perfectly honest to 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 say that because it's the truth i know that probably gives a lot of parents the hope that they need 
um, and walking that fine line of being the real the realist and helping them understand the, the true numbers at the same time offering that hope that they can hold on to. So uh, I appreciate that from a parent perspective who's lived some scary things with their child, uh, but at the same time, yeah, uh, that hope will get us through a lot of a lot of dark moments. So sure. absolutely. So if you're a statistics guy and, and numbers guy and research guy, tell us a little bit about the numbers that Oklahoma City or the, or the Metro sees at OU Children's and, and what that looks like. Yeah, we see anywhere from 100 to 120 new childhood cancer diagnoses a year at our center. Um, you know, we uh, provide care to most of the state, except for kind of the area around uh, Tulsa, where there's another uh, pediatric cancer center there. So we cover most of the state. Um, so, so even though we just, you know, we're located in the OKC metro area, you know, we, we have a lot of patients kind of spread out all over. Um, you know, our proportion of patients we see are similar to kind of the national averages. You know, um, the most common cancer diagnosis we see in children is uh, something called acute lymphoblastic leukemia or ALL. Um, it makes up about a quarter of childhood cancer. Uh, and we probably see about anywhere from like 20 to 30 new patients a year who are diagnosed with ALL, kind of fitting in with the kind of the national averages. Um, and we also see, you know, a lot of, a lot of brain tumors, um, as well as, um, you know, lymphomas, um, neuroblastoma, Wilms tumor, all the other kind of expected kind of cancers that we see, that we would expect to see um, um, in uh, kind of looking at the, you know, kind of the, the, the statistics would, would show. Um, you know, uh, we always wonder, sometimes we've, we've had, periods of time where we've had a, like a raft of kind of unusual rare cancers and wonder whether, you know, the fact that we have a large Native American population, whether that, you know, kind of, uh, um, you know, whether there's some uh, genetics and things like that in that uh, population that may predispose to kind of more unusual cancers. Um, we're doing some, you know, uh, but as part of our biology studies and research and things, we'll hope to kind of figure out more information on that did a beautiful job of outlining all of that. And I know that as we move forward with our Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, we've got a lot of family stories that we're going to be sharing on our podcast as well. And I just thank you for kicking off our month uh, with some of these statistics and some of this awareness and information from our state in Oklahoma. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. And if you ever need any follow-up information, uh, don't hesitate to call me. I'm always happy to help out uh, anything I can do to in the state of Oklahoma um, and to bring awareness to uh, childhood cancer, uh, not, not just September, but throughout the year. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.